AM 1060 KDUS Tempe Phoenix and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. A couple of really neat prizes right now through the KDOS 1060 app. It's simple. Apple and Android users, download the KDOS 1060 app, register. That's a key component so we know who you are when you're selected as the winner. We can get a hold of you for the cool prizes. Those cool prizes, yeah, sixth row. Hoops tickets from downtown Phoenix, uh, all the food, all the drinks, all included in the night out for you. Uh, Sixth row hoops tickets. In addition to that, there's a little golf tournament coming to town in a couple of weeks. That's the WM Phoenix Open. We have general admission tickets uh, good for a pair Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All of those rewards are through the KDOS 1060 app. So download the app today and continue to listen to us and take us wherever you go it is wednesday it is january 24th bob kemp kayla mortellaro here with you up until one o'clock today as we typically do mondays wednesdays thursdays and fridays the suns they're on the road tonight hosting them uh they're not hosting the mavericks are hosting them as they're on the road it's a big game they haven't faced each other since christmas we'll dissect that and how the suns have been doing on their six game win streak thus far of course there's uh, the AFC and NFC championships this weekend. We'll dissect that. Some of the news about the NFL coaching hires and then baseball hall of fame. We'll get into who's in, who's not in. And uh, a little bit of, I, I have a feeling I'm going to learn a little something from a historical perspective when we get Bob's opinions on uh, those that are in and out. So we'll do all of that. Plus your phone calls today around uh, 1130 and 1215, 602-260-1060 is the number. But let's get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question, which is, who do you have on Sunday? Baltimore minus three and a half or the Chiefs plus three and a half. First up, Bob had a great conversation. Luke Jones of WNST.net. If you missed it, podcast it over at KDOS1060.com. But for the question, the masses right now are on 70% of the vote side of things with Baltimore Chiefs trailing at 30%. Hmm, people going against Patrick Mahomes as an underdog, which has not been a good idea throughout his career. Uh, So I'll get more into those numbers when we answer the question at the bottom of the next hour. So I guess it's kind of if you're going against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs, uh, especially as an underdog, uh, proceed at your own risk. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Uh, just in general in his career it hasn't been often underdog but uh, he's had pretty good ATS and straight up record as an underdog flipping it on over to X at KDOS AM 1060 which would be the best choice for Jim Harbaugh leave 
for the Chargers or stay at Michigan. Leave for the Chargers out in front at 69.4% of the vote. Uh, staying at Michigan, 30.6%. If I'm uh, understanding some of the reports from uh, NFL Network over the last couple of days, they are, quote, within striking distance for Harbaugh and the Chargers to uh, solidify a deal. Even though I just read a thing literally in the last five minutes that indicates he might interview or is going to interview for a second time with the Falcons. So there's other options apparently out there, but let's for now, for the purpose of this question, when it was written, uh, and, uh, you know, I didn't think, I don't think it really changed too much until the last few minutes here about uh, let's, let's narrow this down for now. The chargers are staying in Michigan. Well, you know, are the Falcons giving everybody second interviews? Because every time I look up, somebody else is getting a second interview. I'm not sure. I mean, you follow that much closer than I do. Um, you know, I just kind of uh, you know, know when somebody has a head coaching opening, and then I know when then they filled the job for the most part. But, you know, the Harbaugh thing has obviously got lots of attention you know, they reportedly, they being the Chargers, have given him what they called yesterday, at least uh, the media called yesterday, a substantial offer. Michigan has already offered him a contract extension to make him the highest paid coach in college football. So he's got he's got some choices here, as you would expect, uh, being uh, suddenly an elite coach in the college ranks. And he was certainly an elite coach when he was in San Francisco with the 49ers. He's been a winner everywhere he's gone, if you even go back to when he was coaching in San Diego college days. Yes, that actually you know, you know, basically got him the job at Stanford. Uh, we'll get into the Phoenix Suns here momentarily, but just one more thing on the Falcons' side of, of their interview process. It really seems like the job was going to be kind of Bill Belichick's, uh, that that was kind of how everything was leaning, and then he got his second interview so quickly, and it was moved up, in fact. And then it just really seems like all of that sort of uh, Bill Belichick, Atlanta Falcons fodder has really just kind of died down, and now we're seeing all these other second interviews continuing forward with the Falcons I'm just curious to know if they're they were unable to really reach an understanding or an agreement of how front office and personnel decisions would be made with a general manager in place and Bill Belichick wanting some of that personnel control uh, and so whether or not it's more of a let's see what else is out there on the Falcon side of things or if it's a I want to wait and see what else is out there and what comes available on Bill Belichick's side of things. Yeah, what I actually heard yesterday, I you know, either I, I apologize, I can't remember if it was from the ESPN NFL live show or Total Access on uh, on NFL Network, but one of those one of those broadcasts they indicated that you know the first interview was with Arthur Blank and that was with again with Arthur Blank only. Uh, the other, second interview has been with some football people and Arthur Blank, including Rich McKay. I don't know if he's officially the general manager, but he's like got some high up title and he's got obviously lots of history in the NFL as an executive, Mr. McKay does. So it seems as if the you know the, at least from what they indicated yesterday that you know the football people are much more leery than Arthur Blank who was you know been fancying to hire Belichick for a long time apparently. 
We'll get into more around the NFL coaching uh, circles a little bit later on, but let's get into the Phoenix Suns here. They're on the road tonight facing the Dallas Mavericks. It's a 6.30 p.m. game on ABC. Uh, As of this morning, I saw Eric Gordon was questionable for the Suns with a sore right wrist. As for the Mavs, Luka Doncic questionable with a lower back tightness. Kyrie Irving questionable with sprained right wrist. Seth Curry questionable with left ankle sprain and Dante Exum questionable with right planter sprain. Of course, we think back to Christmas Day when Luka dropped 50 on the Suns in downtown Phoenix. Kyrie didn't play that night. Bradley Beal didn't play. Nurkic didn't play. Uh, I think Dante Exum at that point had like 14 points or something for, for the Mavs on that night. But specific to the team that's coming together right now for the Suns, boy, oh boy, Kevin Durant has been great. Over the last two games, 40 minutes, 18 of 25, 72% from the floor, 57.1% from three. That was 40 points, nine rebounds, two assists, and three blocks in the game against the Pacers. And then 41 minutes, 16 of 32, 50% from the floor, 40% from three, uh, five of six from the foul line, six rebounds, eight assists, two blocks, 43 points, and, of course, the game winner in the Bulls game. Yeah, as far as the injury situation, now Lucas seems to be questionable for like every game, and he plays nearly every game. So we'll see what happens with that. You know, the Kyrie thing. Uh, you know, I think that's you know been kind of a you know flip a coin for you know these last two or three organizations. Is he actually going to play tonight? And if he does, he's usually pretty good. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Obviously, Doncic has been tremendous. And the Suns of uh, every team has problems slowing him down, but it seems like the Suns, for three years, at least three years running now, have had no chance of stopping him. Uh, that Christmas night game, they could have had a bazooka out there. They had no chance to stop him that night. Uh, and uh, you know, we've had this issue. He's the ultimate guy of you know, dribble, dribble penetration and make a play. And you know, even you know, Kobe White's a nice player for the Bulls. Uh, as a point guard, but he completely dominated that game the other night for really three quarters until Durant just went nuts in the second half of that game, especially the fourth quarter. White was the best player on the floor, and he's an above-average NBA point guard. The Suns had no chance of keeping him out of the paint, and that's been, I think, one of the Suns' biggest problems this season, if not the biggest, is any guard that has any skill level whatsoever – they can't guard him because they just don't have the personnel to guard him, let alone somebody like Doncic. And the one thing I've noticed, and I haven't watched a ton of the Mavericks this year because I don't watch a whole lot of NBA regular season games unless they're playing the Suns, but I have noticed statistically you know, they've been a team that has been very reluctant to make it a wild full-court game uh, in recent years, I, I think that Kyrie has something to do with this too when he's actually out there because he's a good transition player. But uh, the Mavericks have been much better in transition this year. The Suns, have, in addition to the half-court woes, they have been tremendously horrible. If there's you know, kind of contradictory <laughs> statement on a point, they suck. There's a better way to put it. And transition defense. Not only do they give up a lot of easy baskets half-court, they don't get back on defense. I think that has something to do with the fact that they just don't have a point guard. They have bad floor balance. And if they don't do a decent job of that tonight, they could get run out of the building against the Mavs. 
Over the six-game winning streak for the Suns, specific to Kevin Durant, it's been 29.16 points per game, uh, 55.8% from the floor, and 10 blocks for him. He's certainly been an addition uh, on that defensive side of the the ball, making some plays there. Bradley Beal over the six-game winning streak, 21.5 points per game, 56.9% field goal percentage. Devin Booker over the six-game winning streak, 29.16 points per game. That includes that 52 point performance in New Orleans 51.2% field goal percentage uh, but have they have the big three if you will started to figure some things out offensively to your point that you made when this all came together in the summer uh, being able to just outscore teams well they're trying uh, but you know other than the first half of that game against New Orleans last Friday night uh, which I bragged about their defense when we came back and uh, you know kind of analyzed that game on Monday. Other than that half, their defense has not been good during this winning streak. Uh, it really hasn't been any better than it was in the first you know 40 games of the season, roughly. Uh, so I just uh, you know I, I think this is more the team I expected them to be uh, through many months after they did a horrendous job of reconstructing this team in the off season. And I, I, you know, I can't say that I've been proven 100% correct on the way that they tried to build this team. And granted, they were up against some obstacles because they were paying their top three guys so much money. Uh, and I, I actually watched a thing on NBA TV the other night is that you know, they were analyzing the trade deadline. And uh, Ryan McDonough was actually one of the people on this show, uh, former Suns general manager, and they explained in ways that I could even understand. So they did a, they dumbed it down, basically. It would be really difficult for the Suns to improve before the trade deadline because they have so little cap space. They have no cap space, but the little flexibility with the cap to really make a decisive trade. And Grayson Allen is really the only player on their roster, which we've talked about, you and I, that anybody that's any good would want at this point from the roster of the quote tradable players. And he's almost played himself into a situation where you don't want to trade him because he's been oh, so he, good. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, yeah, I will say that in the fourth quarter of that game against the bulls the other night, they did get a couple stops and Grayson Allen of all people was part of that. He made a couple of really nice defensive plays. Also they get Nurkic off the floor. The best two stretches the Suns have had, and these comebacks in the last two weeks, the Tuesday night game last week uh, against the Kings, and then on Monday night against the Bulls, Nurkic, they, they basically took him off the floor because he just gets destroyed in pick-and-roll situations. Most big guys have a tough time with that. DeAndre Ayton was actually really pretty good at that. Uh, but, you know, Nurkic has good ball skills. I think he's actually the best passer on their team. Uh, but he is you know, horrendous at the defensive end, and he's that's part of the reason that they're so bad on defense. Yeah, I think some of the things that we researched and looked into and talked to about who Nurkic is and the type of player that we were going to be getting from him have really stayed consistent to what we've now seen through the first uh, 40 some games of the season is that he is a very good passer he can facilitate and kind of uh, also bring the ball up if you will and initiate some things but not great on defense and also kind of struggles sometimes at finishing at the rim for some easy easy looks that's a very good point and, you know the passing thing though 
He's a tremendously skilled passer, but one thing that uh, my friends in Portland who watched him every night play uh, talked about him, that he wasn't always a willing passer. But I think he's been a very willing passer here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's hard for you to justify not being a willing passer when KD, Bradley Beal, or Devin Booker, or even all three of them are on the court at the same time, right? Yeah, but, I mean, there's still guys that have been in situations like that that have jacked up shots when they shouldn't. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, I understand you, you when you have success throwing those guys the ball, that probably inspires you to do that frequently. Uh, but there are plenty of, there's plenty of uh, NBA players, college players, probably high school players, uh, for that matter, that have actually passing skills, but uh, they have a selfish gene in them and they want to score. Uh, there's been a couple of names floating around in that trade market for the Phoenix Suns, so we'll briefly touch on that. We'll get into a trade that was made with Terry Rozier now becoming a member of the Miami Heat, and then the shocking news yesterday with the Bucks firing their head coach, Adrian Griffin, and this morning breaching an agreement with Doc Rivers to become their next head coach. So we'll get into all of that here on the other side of the break. It is the Extra Point on this Wednesday, January. 24th. Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDUS AM 1060. It is Wednesday. It is January 24th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Follow along with us online with the KDOS, uh, with KDOS1060.com, as well as with the KDOS1060 app. Some pretty sweet prizes for you as a listener taking place right now. The sixth row hoops ticket contest now through the end of the month of January. So make sure you're downloading the KDOS1060 app, registering, and getting yourself qualified for that contest. Plus the Waste Management Phoenix Open general admission tickets in a couple of weeks' time for that event coming back to town. A couple of more NBA things before we uh, move on and transition into other topics here in the Extra Point. Gerald Bourget of GoPHNX.com reported that the Suns are interested in Nick Richards and Miles Bridges in a potential trade here before the deadline. Nick Richards, center for the Charlotte Hornets, 8.7 points per game, 67.5% field goal percentage, 7.6 rebounds, 1.3 blocks so far this season. Miles Bridges forward for the Hornets, 20.9 points per game, 46% field goal percentage, 35.63% three-point percentage, and seven rebounds per game. But uh, I, I think the big story here for Miles Bridges is his personal history and that there's been no secret about the off-the-court issues and the arrest and felony domestic violence charges and months later uh, violating his probation, and he served a 30-game NBA suspension for all of that. Yeah, I would want no part of the dude. He just seems to be a bad human being, uh, quite frankly. And for me to say that for somebody I've never met, uh, I've never seen on a daily basis or watched play basketball on a daily basis, uh, you know, I hear that name and I just go, really? Uh, that's almost uh, an act of desperation to me uh, if he or any other team in the NFL, in the NBA wants to actually add him. 
Yeah, I really hope that that's not accurate and that's not something that they're uh, looking into facilitating there. And, and to your point, uh, yeah. just don't want him a part of the organization. And I have no idea how Richards would actually fit in here. I mean, they've already got you know several centers. Um, yeah, I understand he's got some defensive skills. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it seems like they already have plenty of those guys, uh, that would, you know, they're better all around players. Uh, so I don't think either of those guys would, if they acquired either of those guys, just basketball wise, I don't see how they make this team any better. Well, the Hornets, they're certainly uh, active in conversations, and they did act on some of that, though, with around the NBA here. The Hornets moving Terry Rozier to the heat for Kyle Lowry and a 2027 first-round pick. Protections are included in that. According to Woj, the Hornets are not working on a buyout with Lowry that they'll want to use him in a future trade. Rozier on the season, 23.2 points per game, 45.9% field goal percentage, 35.8 from behind the the arc 3.9 rebounds and 6.6 assists but how do you see this fitting in uh with jimmy butler let me start with lowry um you know somebody that watches you know every pretty much every money of every playoff game he had a lot to do with the uh heat postseason success a couple of years ago he was a big disappointment last year he fall off, fell off a lot he's played a ton of minutes in his career uh, so I understand why the Heat decided they could upgrade by getting somebody else. Rozier has been mentioned for Suns trade rumors for years. Uh, you know, I'm talking more than just a year or two um, because he seemingly he's available. Uh, he's a good, he's a really skilled offensive player. Actually, a very similar skill set to Bradley Beal. Probably not as good a passer as Beal is. Uh, but you know he he definitely fits the heat perfectly because they've got plenty of dudes. They, they well, the way that they run it, they actually run an offense. God forbid, which hardly anybody in the NBA does anymore. Uh, they run like passing games sometimes with screens, not just screen and roll. And uh, you know, he uh, would seem to fit in exactly what they do. And so I think that that's a tremendous pickup for them. And then Eric Spolster will figure out uh, how to maximize his uh, talents to the hilt because he's the best coach in the NBA. The other shocking bit of information came yesterday afternoon with the Bucks firing head coach Adrian Griffin. So just some facts here. The Bucks are 30 and 13. Griffin made it just 43 games into his head coaching tenure. The Bucks have the second best record in the East. And I think it's also the second best record in the NBA. The Bucks scored 124.6 points per game. They gave up 120.5 points per game. Then you have what happened before the season got started. Terry Stotts was on this coaching staff. Uh, he, of course, has a relationship with Damian Lillard. He resigned one day before the, de- the team's preseason finale following a verbal argument between Stotts and Griffin. Then you have reports here that apparently Doc Rivers was hired as a consultant for the Bucks and reportedly met with Griffin in Las Vegas during the in-season tournament when Doc was calling games for ESPN and the Bucks were in the in-season tournament to offer up advice. Uh, the team kind of then went on a bit of a winning streak there, and then they've recently resurfaced with some struggles all stemming on the defensive side of the ball. 
following a 122 to 116 loss to the Rockets on January 6th. Giannis taking it to the media uh, for about seven and a half minutes, complaining about the defense and how there's no plan defensively. More frustrations coming out January 17th after a 40-point loss to the Cavaliers without Giannis in that game. Then you have the news yesterday of Adrian Griffin uh, out this morning. Doc Rivers in. Okay. Uh, first up, the Terry Stotts thing. I don't think it matters at all um, because defense, as you just mentioned, has been their biggest issue. Stotts is an excellent offensive X and O's coach. I don't think anybody has ever considered him to be even uh, an average. You know, his teams were not even average on defense for most of those years in Portland. Uh, he's a king of the out-of-bounds play out of a timeout, however. He's really good at that. But So I don't think that anything to do with uh, what happened yesterday. Their defense, you mentioned some of those numbers. I'll give you another one. Uh, they were 20, They were fourth in defensive efficiency last year. They're 22nd this year. Uh, what did they expect? I mean, they traded Drew Holiday, possibly the best perimeter defender in the NBA. If not, he's in the sentence or in the discussion. And they traded him for Dam- Damian Lillard, who I love as a player. We all like watching him make spectacular plays on with the ball in his hands. He's one of the worst defensive players in the last 20 years in the NBA, let alone now. Uh, so what they expect? They expect to be better. Maybe they didn't expect this much of a decline. Doc is, uh, was a tremendous defensive player when he played. Uh, he's had very good defenses for the majority of his NBA coaching career. This all makes way too much sense. <laughs> so I would assume when Doc uh, was all hired as a consultant, I'm guessing that uh, whoever's in charge of the Bucks, and I keep losing track of who's in charge of the Bucks these days because that changes a lot too, whether it's so. Uh, from the ownership to the front office on down, whoever's in charge, I'm guessing that they, at least in the back of their mind, had a a thought that if this defense doesn't get better, Doc has already been around here a little bit and at least understands what we're trying to do or want to do, and he's an obvious successor. Uh, I don't know if it has anything to do with anything, but didn't like Jimmy Haslam get uh, like an ownership stake and uh, a pretty large ownership stake in all of this? I have no idea. <laughs> so uh, that, that could be entirely possible. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing, uh, just based on you know, his NFL history. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm, no, I did not know about that. But I'll that, have that's... to uh, make sure I'm right on that. No, um, that doesn't mean you're wrong. I mean, I, you know, that's something I probably would know no matter what, unless he just did something stupid, and then I went. Then I realized he's with the Bucks. He's got something to do with the Bucks. That's how I. That's about the only way I would know. So obviously, here at Doc Rivers, the uh, sentiment with him has always been uh, a great coach. And then the question marks, at least after the, the Celtics run there, about postseason play. And now here with the Bucks uh, and what they're trying to do, I think all of, all of that in your mind, though, you've been pretty – Doc Rivers is a great coach. I don't know about great because I hardly ever use that word, but he's a, one of the best coaches in the NBA. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I guess I'm going to have to drag out these stats again. I don't know where, where I can even find him at this point. But I do remember after they got eliminated last year when he was in Philadelphia, there was a stat when his teams have been eliminated in the postseason. 
his team has almost always been the underdog in the series that they lost. Uh, the next thing that I have question here is Giannis making the decision to commit to the Bucks, signing that massive contract here. Does it seem as though he has a lot more say in how this team is going to be structured and how things are going to, to unfold moving forward? Well, it seems as if either he or Lillard, and I know Lillard's been there for six months, so how much is a say? Does, how much of a say does he have? But it seems like somebody uh, with clout amongst the players, and those would be the two guys, I would assume, uh, had plenty to do with Adrian Griffin not being the head coach anymore. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll get into a little bit about the NFL coaching updates on the other side of the break. We'll save some of the baseball conversation with the uh, the inductees into the Hall of Fame. We'll do that to get things started in hour number two. But your phone calls are coming up next if you'd like to join the program. 602-260-1060 is the number. It is the Extra Point right here on Wednesday, January 24th. Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. AM 1060. It is Wednesday. It is January 24th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until one o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to chime in. We'll certainly take your phone calls now. Getting into a bit about the NFL coaching update. The Titans have hired their next head coach, Brian Callahan. Brian Callahan comes over from Cincinnati, where he was the offensive coordinator. Uh, he'll obviously be tasked here with getting the best and most from quarterback Will Levis, as it looks like everything is going to be turned over to Will for his second season. According to Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, Brian Callahan also is expected to call the plays. I think probably most people know Callahan, the name, because of his dad, Bill Callahan, who is the current offensive line coach, but a very respected offensive line coach in the league. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, the offensive line has been uh, where the Titans have you know, declined tremendously, uh, enormously would be a better word. In the last two years, they used to have one of the best offensive lines in the league for several years running. You know, Taylor Lewan obviously had the uh, you know, had to retire because of injury, and uh, they made some bad draft picks. That group, uh, I can't imagine there's a you know certainly an offensive line group or maybe a unit in the NFL in any position that has declined more in two years than the Titans' offensive line. The one thing about the younger Callahan is he's never called a play in the NFL. He's known to be like a quarterback guru. Uh, but he's going to call plays as a head coach for the first time in his career. So for both of those things, as a head coach and calling plays, that seems to be pretty big jump. So we'll see if this works. And if it doesn't, 
I'm sure that will be a matter of criticism for many critiquing what's going wrong if that happens at that point with the Titans. Yeah, um, so I, I did see all of that as well, that he's never called offensive plays in his career. And so a little bit more about what the, you know, the I, I feel like this is probably coming from the Bengals uh, people about what it is that Callahan actually did. And according to what I was reading, uh, that he would be in constant communication with Zach Taylor up until the point in which you can't communicate any further about plays. And then Zach would make the ultimate play call decision, but that he was a part of the game day and play to play situation. But that is different as well as what you're saying to being the sole person making the play calls and getting all those operations in, in, in addition to being a head coach. Yeah. And obviously he was a you know, coach and for Peyton Manning. And uh, from what I heard out of Tennessee yesterday, it seems like Peyton Manning's endorsement had the biggest, that was like the biggest reason they hired Callahan to be the head coach. I, right I, or wrong. It's also interesting too, because a lot of times you think that, coordinators that have come on and really showcased their abilities with their offensive and defensive units those are the ones that become hot candidates for head coaches and then when you look specifically uh, at what Dan Campbell has done he also never called plays either before becoming a head coach but he's not in the way that things are currently structured the play caller he's just the overall yes. manager of everything on game day and preparation wise He's done a good job facilitating things, and I'm sure I say this every year, and will can I, you know, I assume continue to say this every year. Hiring NFL assistant coaches or previous coordinators is like the ultimate crapshoot, and I always go back to the same example. Yeah, Richie Pettibone, uh, you know, followed Joe Gibbs when you know, in in the '80s and uh, early '90s. Uh, when the, uh, the the Redskins, and I can say that because they were the Redskins then and not offend anybody, hopefully. The Washington football team, uh, they were, you know, unbelievable. And everybody just, just – Pettibone turned down some head coaching jobs before, you know, maybe he knew Gibbs was eventually going to retire pretty quickly in that straight time frame. But he was going to be the next great head coach in the NFL. I actually was an editor – of a magazine in in Vegas in those days, a you know, uh, you know gambling oriented magazine, and we put him on the cover when he got the uh, you know, head coaching job. And I remember thinking like two or three games into his head coaching career, when he clearly was in over his head. After everybody on planet Earth thought he's going to be the next great head coach, I remember thinking. My God, why do we put him on the cover? <laughs> uh, it was like, you know, I'm still kicking myself for that. I just, I just, when I said that, just I put my hand in my forehead when I just said that too. That's just, this isn't like the early '90s, and I'm this is like 30 plus years ago. I'm just going, why the hell did we do that? I'll and say- I wasn't the only one that decided that, but I was kind of the one that kind of suggested it. And I just you know, remember, like, literally in September, going, what the hell were we thinking? There's just, I mean, that's what makes football 
great, right? Is that it's the ultimate team sport. It's the ultimate team sport on the football field and even the ultimate team sport in terms of how you're devising your coaching staff and, and how who's like in charge of leading everybody, but then everybody kind of filing around with their particular roles and the scouts and this and that. General manager being able to, to make all the trades happen or in the age of free agency. Uh, it's why it makes, I think we're so like compelled and drawn to the sport at times. Yeah. And, uh, you know, back to the Pettibone thing again, you know, he was their coordinator for several years and they, it wasn't like he had the same guys every year on their defense. And, you know, they were bringing guys in and out. They made a lot of personnel changes for a variety of reasons. And, you know, they, they, he adjusted his, his thought process and his, you know, his actual scheme uh, to seemingly you know, really suit the players he had available to him from year to year. But once he became a head coach for the first time, it was he had no chance. He was completely in over his head. I'm sure you're going to have something to say about this particular move here. So the Raiders, they removed the interim tag on Antonio Pierce earlier this week, but it has now been made official that they have hired Tom Telesco as their next general manager. Telesco comes over from the Chargers, of course, in-division rival here, uh, but that is the direction that they're going uh, with Tom Telesco there, general manager. Yeah, I may not have as strong an opinion as you think I might here. Um, I actually thought he did a really good job in, in uh, you know, San Diego and Los Angeles, and I'm actually saying the San Diego thing right for a change when I talk about the Chargers, because uh, he was uh, part of the, he was part of the organization and the general manager for some of those years when they were still in San Diego. I thought he actually did a pretty good job. Uh, you know, right now they're in salary cap hell with the Chargers, and you know I think that some of it had to do with him. They also had some players that didn't pan out. Needless to say, they made some bad decisions in the coaching staff, specifically the head coach, and then they stayed with him two years longer than they should have. That all didn't work out great. But until that point, I think most people in the NFL thought very highly of Telesco. Uh, the Raiders are interviewing Steelers quarterback coach Mike Sullivan as offensive coordinator. He called the plays after Matt Canada yeah. was fired for, uh, for the Steelers. That's mind-boggling to me. I mean, did they watch the Steelers? Uh, maybe they just watched the, you know, the last three games when they played some of the worst defenses in the NFL, and uh, you know, they just you know, they look good. I mean, e even after they made the uh, offensive coordinator change, and you know, they had two guys as the offensive coordinator in Pittsburgh. You know, rarely was that offense significantly better until the last three games of the regular season when they played garbage defenses. Cliff Kingsbury is apparently set to interview for the offensive coordinator position with the Eagles. He did interview with the Bears, but the Bears ultimately ended up hiring Shane Waldron. It appears, though, that Kingsbury is still in the mix to be the quarterback's coach there uh, in Chicago. Uh, in fact, this is going to be a poll question tomorrow. In fact, I just wrote it like 10 minutes ago during the break uh, for tomorrow's show in the Sports Zone. Uh, you know, the you know, the little heads up here. You can think about this. People can think about this for 24 hours or so before they get the answer tomorrow. Uh, should Kingsbury be an offensive coordinator and specifically the Eagles offensive coordinator? I think there's a few dynamics going on there that are certainly not going on in Chicago. 
Uh, yeah, there there are. I mean, you have your quarterback for the Eagles, but you also have now. Uh, I would have to say we could we could maybe even throw out the word like an ultimatum almost here that if you don't produce and play better, then yeah. everybody's gone from a coaching really staff side point. of things. That's an excellent point, which I really didn't even think about when I made my previous statement there. What I was thinking is not only do they have the quarterback, and yeah, Hertz is better than Justin Fields. I don't think even the biggest Justin Fields thing uh, fan would argue that. And yeah, I don't think there's too many people that actually think Justin Fields is going to be with the Bears next year. But the one thing that uh, is in Philadelphia, and the thing that came to me, come to mind with me, they have three excellent receivers, uh, two wide receivers, and obviously a tight end. And that is far better than what they have in Chicago. The Packers have fired this morning their defensive coordinator, Joe Barry. That might be another poll question tomorrow. Uh, Does this make them significantly better? Uh, Obviously, Barry, much like Brandon Staley, we just talked about the Chargers. How this guy last, how did he last three years as the defensive coordinator in Green Bay? But I do think there's a legitimate question here, which might be a it might be a pipeline question tomorrow at least. Uh, did the Packers take the next step because they will have a new defensive coordinator next year, or is there more to it than that from the, the Packers taking the next step? Things for us to think about and ponder, and I guess be ready for tomorrow. That's right. Ponder is an excellent word. There you go. On the other side of the break, we'll dissect uh, the PGA Tour there at Torrey Pines for the Farmers Insurance Open. A little bit of a different dissection here for you because the event is taking place. It's already ongoing Wednesday through Saturday because CBS has the coverage and they have to make room for championship Sunday. So the golf event is actually Wednesday through Saturday. So we'll uh, preview that, though, and kind of see how things are going as it is with the event underway right now from Southern California. And then in hour number two, we'll get things started with the Cooperstown Class of 2024. It's all here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060. HD Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. Wrapping up our number one of Extra Point on this uh, Wednesday. It is Wednesday, January 24th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until 1 o'clock, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. So we typically do a PGA Tour uh, preview, but the tournament this week is already underway. Torrey Pines for the Farmers Insurance Open. A little bit of a reminder of what to expect, though, for the week. Torrey Pines has two golf courses. You have the north and the south, so each player will play uh, one round on the north, one round on the south, and then there will be a cut, and then they will continue to play the next 36 holes on the south course. 
Typically, the South course comes in as a tougher test of golf. The scoring average is usually like a stroke, stroke and a half higher, maybe even two strokes higher on the South than it is on the North course. Uh, the South course has been home to U.S. Opens in the past, etc. So uh, that is the event that they're playing this week for the Farmers Insurance. It's Wednesday through Saturday, making room for NFL Championship weekend Sunday on CBS. But when we look at what we need to pay attention to for uh, who might bust out this week in this event. They only have metrics though for the South course. So you don't, so you're only getting uh, three rounds as opposed to four rounds of metrics. If you're looking at past statistics here, all coming from the South course, but it's highly important. I think to be accurate off the tee and even more so this week because it has been raining a lot uh, in Southern California. In addition to that, the rough is really thick. There was uh, something that happened to Carl Yuan, I believe it was, earlier in the day. He missed uh, his his tee shot in the fair in the rough. It was only about a yard or two offline. There were plenty of people around, uh, and he, they were unable to find the golf ball. So it was a lost ball. He had to go back to the tee and re-hit. So the rough is incredibly penal this week. So I think somebody who uh, is going to be able to hit it straight is somebody that is going to have success. And I think that also lends itself to what typically we see out of this event anyway. And if you're someone who's long and straight, well, then you're even in sitting prettier in the uh, being able to hit it through the conditions that you experience with all the fog and the sea level at Torrey Pines. The other thing that gets talked about a lot with this golf course is the Poana greens. And Poana greens are usually head scratchers because uh, you can put it on a line that you think is going to be perfect and great, and somehow you miss. It's kind of a bumpier surface, and it really takes an art as to who typically has good success. Max Homa has has nice success on a Poana type green. He won last year. Coming into this event, he was 12 to 1. Xander Shoffley, uh, being a Southern California kid, he was at plus 850. Patrick Cantley usually plays well here. So does Colin Morikawa. He was 12 to 1 heading into the week. He's at 3 under par through 6. Right now, leading the event is Nikolai Hogard, who's at 4 under through 8 holes. Uh, what we're going is in a long shot this week is Shane Lowry, top 40 at plus 130. Lowry's not playing in great form, but this just kind of seems like a course that would set up for him. The conditions seem right for him, so if he can get his game back in shape here, I like Shane Lowry, top 40 at plus 130. And then for our winner, can Tony Finau finally get it done here at 25 to 1? We'll see how everything shapes up with the PGA Tour.